0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as the best insight and analysis into all the topics you're discussing in The Beautiful Game. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles. Today we've got news, views. Where do we start, Duncan? There's so much to talk about. But the fallout continues to ripple out of that seismic decision from UEFA in Switzerland when they banned Manchester City from European competition from two years. All sorts of uh, different views have been... Well, Batted back and forth, I think, is the is the best way to put this, because as yet we still don't know the full ramifications, of course, until City um, get forward to their appeal to Cass. But Duncan, you've got news on a one particular player who's interesting a particular super club. Yes,
1: I think that's what we're seeing now are the vultures of European elite football starting to hover around Manchester City's elite football squad, most expensive squad in the history of the game. Uh, Top class players throughout it. There's no surprise that um, other major European clubs are saying, look, finally, this is a chance to get at some of those individuals. Manchester City is a club that has a history of never selling against their will um, the players they consider to be central to their plans. But now, maybe we can get them because they have this huge financial impact, um, over £100 million worth of effective revenue loss when you factor in the broadcast money they would take from a Champions League season, the um, gate receipts they would take and the potential effect it can have on their um, commercial revenues going forward. so you have that element and you also have, and I think this is the more important element here, you have top players wondering whether they will be able to play in the Champions League, the top competition next season and the season after. Um, you have Lino Messi uh, going on record and being asked about this transfer window ban, expressing a degree of surprise about it and, and saying, if City aren't allowed there, are many players who maybe will find a way out or perhaps not. It's great to play in, but it can be tough without it. And this is the thought process at Manchester City at the moment. We we know that Ferran Soriano, chief executive of Manchester City, got in touch with the players immediately that news of the ban came down and said to them, do not worry, Um, we will have this set aside. You will not miss out on Champions League football. Um, However... City players have been hearing this uh, from their club for uh, well over a season now. The, the line from the club, the line to, from the directors to Pep Guardiola uh, to agents, to players has been, um, this is wrong. These allegations are false. We didn't break the rules. Trust us. Uh, no ban will be forthcoming. And the ban was forthcoming. Uh, and this, is, this isn't this is just you know, media reporting anymore. UEFA have banned them. They have to fight that in CAS. So the players have doubts. And one of the doubts is the element you raised on, on Monday about um, payments. So Manchester City, like many clubs, actually they, they copied the Barcelona model here, which is make some of the a significant amount of the salary based on qualifying for the Champions League and achieving in the Champions League. So you strip that away from... Um, the players and you're looking at 20% or more of their earnings being taken away by not ha- not being in the Champions League and there, there is a financial solution to that is, which is uh, offer to pay those contracts regardless of whether the team plays or not what you can't solve is the ability, the status the excitement the challenge of being involved in the top club competition in football so Specific players this applies to, and we're now talking about absolute central players to the Manchester City project, um, Bernardo Silva. Uh, at, At a core age, arguably uh, Manchester City's player of the season last year, arguably the Premier League's player of the season last year. Barcelona would like to sign Bernardo Silva. They have a long-standing interest in the player. They've been making inquiries to see whether it would be possible to get him out of Manchester City. Their initial answer to those inquiries was no chance. Manchester City will not sell this summer, and this is something that's been going on for several months, they will not sell this summer. Bernardo Silva is central to their plans. Pep Guardiola loves the player. He will not allow him to leave. Now you have a scenario where Manchester City can't guarantee Bernardo Silva Champions League football. Um, Now you have an additional pressure on the situation where Bernardo Silva might choose um, to say, well, look, I, I joined this club on these conditions. Um, you assured me that we would have Champions League football going forward when, when this, this story came out, when these investigations began. The assurance from the club to Pep Guardiola and others was, this is all false, it will go away. Now I am faced with um, what is a formal ban from UEFA that the club will not play in the Champions League for the next two seasons and I have a club like Barcelona who want to sign me. Um, That's a difficult situation for Manchester City and it changes the framework in which they've been trying to retain the player. You also see Raheem Sterling giving an interview to one of the leading Spanish sports papers talking about his interest in playing for Real Madrid. Uh, He's careful in his comments, but they're comments which can easily be read both ways. Um, So he said, right now, I'm at City and I'm really happy. But I say Real Madrid are a fantastic club. When you see the white shirt, you know exactly what the club stands for. It's massive. But at the same time, I have a contract with City now and I have to respect this. But it's a fantastic club. In football, we know what this is about. We know when a a player gives an interview like that, he's signalling his interest in moving to a super club. And this, in Raheem Sterling's case, you can, you can sometimes put the argument and say, OK, he's signalling that interest in order to get a better contract at his current club. Raheem Sterling's just not long signed an improved contract at the club. Raheem Sterling has told people privately for a long time that he sees himself playing in La Liga at some point in his career, and that Real Madrid is a club that is very attractive to him. So this is, this is genuine. This is Raheem Sterling signalling to Madrid that... He is interested in playing for him and he's doing it less than a week after Manchester City have been handed down a two window Champions League ban, which will have a massive effect on their finances and threatens to take a player like Sterling, who you can easily argue is has been one of the top performers in English football. Some people would argue he has been the top performer in English football over the course of the last year. Um, The threat is that he will not be allowed to play in the top club competition and and therefore it's not surprising to see him putting out statements that would entice Madrid to explore the possibility to get him out of the club this summer.
0: I think also in that Leo Messi interview which was Mundo Deportivo for any of our listeners who want to access that you can do so in English by the way Mundo do have an English um, version of their website. He also said, and I think this was intriguing, Duncan. Um, and I am paraphrasing here, but I said, feel free to go to the website and see it for yourself. Um, that two years out of Champions League football is a long time for a player in his career. That it's difficult to imagine uh, for a top level player missing out on the possibility of competing in that environment for two seasons. And this is where City have made a rod for their own back. They have repeatedly said during the investigation process that they are totally confident that there will be no ban and that Manchester City will be acquitted, having done no wrong. When questioned on it on several occasions, Guardiola has said the same. Now, from a legal perspective, from a moral perspective, in terms of the players, their expectations and contracts... They have evidence to say that they've been misled. And this is what I mean by a rod for their own back. If those players want to leave, they can cite those quotes from both line manager in employment terms, Pep Guardiola, and employer, Calded Mubarak in chairman, both reassuring and giving them absolutely no... Well, in their eyes no reason to be worried that they will be deprived of playing in Champions League football. Now, if you put that to a a lawyer, and a lawyer went into a meeting with Manchester City and said, yes, um, the player I represent with his agent has a contract, it's true. However, you have shown that you are untrustworthy when it comes to the reassurances you gave about my player's career and his ability to play in the best competition in the world in club football. Therefore, we are asking that to be considered with regards to our player's future career and the fact that he wants to leave or he wants to join a club where he will be given the opportunity to play Champions League football. And interestingly, Messi backs that up. Best player in the world, alongside Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, Duncan. uh, Multiple Ballon d'Or winner. Clearly, From a player's point of view, not playing Champions League is a huge thing. Now, this just shows you what the potential detonating effect a unsuccessful appeal will have for Manchester City when it comes to this two-year ban from European competition. And apart from the ramifications uh, that the ban's already having with regards to, as you've spoken about, Duncan, interest from other clubs in Europe... In Manchester City's players and indeed, of course, the um, difficulties City might face with regards to their own players uh, wanting to go. And uh, Jimmy obviously has some uh, views on that as well, as you can hear in the background. Also some concern amongst Premier League clubs who have, let's just say, some apprehension about what this might mean with regards to City's motivation team selections with regards to the rest of the season this is a club who are competing on three fronts still in terms of FA Cup League Cup final to come and Champions League outside of the Premier League itself Uh, and so conversations I believe Duncan with regards to um, how this may affect or may not affect the run-in for Manchester City and the teams they play
1: Yeah, I I think the issue here is we have an unprecedented situation where, um, as it stands, Manchester City's interest in the Premier League could be seen as being terminated. If you you know you believe that UEFA will be successful at CAS and uh, Manchester City will be banned from the Champions League next season, then effectively City have nothing to play for in the Premier League. Um, They can't win the title. Pep Guardiola gave up on that in December. It's Liverpool's. It's just a a matter of how many open top bus parades they have. Um, They cannot, if the UEFA ban goes through, qualify for Champions League next season. They are still, as you say, playing in the League Cup, the League Cup final to play. They're still in the FA Cup and they have their last... If the ban holds, their last chance to win that coveted Champions League trophy for three years, and we've seen this focus um, from within the club that they take that chance. There's been a lot of talk of let's let's you know shove this down UEFA's throat and take this opportunity to win the Champions League this time. And obviously, some, that is something of huge importance to Pep Guardiola. He's very aware that not having won the Champions League at Manchester City is a blot on his CV, and he's been talking about how people interpret that in recent weeks. So from the Premier League club's perspective, the concern is when you have a very tight relegation battle with a lot of clubs still involved um, in trying to preserve the future, and you have this um, hugely open... A battle for European qualification because now we have the the, 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 the information from UEFA that fifth place will go to um, a Premier League club and be allowed to enter the Champions League next season, assuming the ban holds. And a big battle for Europa League place, and most of the clubs in a sort of concertina. Um, where clubs down to about 12th place in the division have a realistic chance of, of getting one of those European competition places. The question is, if Manchester City decide to give up on their Premier League fixtures and, and treat them of secondary or tertiary importance, will that have an effect on the integrity of the competition? because they have already played 26 games, they only have 12 left so we're not going to see a fair balance where every team will be affected the same way, i.e. every team will get to play Manchester City after the ban had been handed down You also in the relegation battle they have um, six of the endangered clubs still to play Um, and intriguingly all six of those those clubs will be played in their last six games in the competition. So Norwich, Watford, Bournemouth, Brighton, Newcastle, Southampton in reverse order, Norwich being the last team they play. So Manchester City's focus on that end of season could have a crucial impact on the relegation places, which of course are the ones that carry the biggest financial impact on football clubs. Um, And if City managed to sustain, get through the the game against Real Madrid and sustain their um, their run through the knockout stages further than they've managed under Pep Guardiola's management so far, then during that period in which they're supposed to play those uh, teams threatened with relegation at, at present, will be the period where they'll have the biggest temptation to rest players and, um, and devote their energies to trying to win the Champions League, as well as um, if they get to the FA Cup final, there will be um, a temptation to focus on that as well. So I think what I'm hearing is there, there have been informal discussions between several of the clubs affected by this process, and they are considering the best way to handle it, whether it is to ask... Um, the Premier League to send a letter, a formal letter to Manchester City, reminding them of their responsibilities to the competition, which is something that has happened before with other clubs in other circumstances, or whether it should be done in a more subtle fashion, perhaps at the next Premier League uh, stakeholders meeting, where um, one or more representatives of those clubs speak with Uh, the hierarchy of Manchester City at the Premier League uh, stakeholders meeting and and informally remind them of their responsibilities and and seek assurances that they will continue to take the competition seriously, as
0: seriously as as they would have in normal circumstances, regardless of this Champions League ban. It's a very interesting one, Duncan, and I think something which um, will be, I think, spoken about in weeks To come. Obviously, I think Manchester City's uh, win over West Ham United uh, on Wednesday evening may well have calmed some of those nerves in the other clubs with regards to um, City's commitment to the integrity of the competition. But at the same time, as you mentioned, um, it has been noted in the past when clubs have played weakened teams in certain competitions because of their prioritising. Other competitions, well, let's face it, um, as those managers of those teams said at the time, and it's perfectly within Pep Guardiola's right to say, well, it's my team and I pick the team I think is best to win this particular game. And if that means resting 11 players because I'm playing Real Madrid uh, midweek in the Champions League, then that's my prerogative and it's got no one else to tell me. Um, that's, you know, something that I should avoid because I will be um, questioned regards uh, my motives and the integrity of the competition. So uh, it has to be said, with relegation battle being so tight, involving up to seven clubs, certainly, um, with only 12 games left in the season, um, City's team selections and performances will certainly be of great interest to more than just Manchester City fans as the weeks go by.
1: I think, Ian, you can also say that Manchester City have the ability to cite a very recent example in in this case, which was Manchester United during Jose Mourinho's first season at the club, where Mourinho explicitly stated that he was playing weakened teams in the Premier League towards the end of that campaign because he felt it was... Not impossible for them to qualify from their league placing for the Champions League, but very hard. And that the more realistic um, route, avenue to getting them back into the Champions League, which was his his, uh, first and most important target for that season, was winning the Europa League, which he eventually did. Uh, There were, as far as I'm aware, there were no complaints from other Premier League clubs at the time. Um, I know... Letters sent to Manchester United warning them about their behaviour. So, you know, Manchester City will be able to argue and say, "This isn't anything new. Um, we've seen it done before." So, so don't come down on us in, in, in a fashion that you uh, that hasn't been applied to other teams. Don't be prejudiced, as they um, as they like to talk about UEFA uh, in their decision making over the uh, over the Champions League ban.
0: Well, the uh, nation state-owned clubs don't have their troubles to seek, Duncan, do they? With um, news this week um, on the PSG chairman, Nasser al-Khalifi, and uh, charges brought against him by the Swiss state prosecutors regarding media rights that were sold, uh, along with former FIFA executive Jerome Valka and an unnamed third-party businessman, What's, what's a follow from that with regards to Al-Khalifi, um, Duncan, because clearly um, there's a kind of lot of conspiracy theory around, given that um, he also has a place on UEFA's executive committee.
1: Yeah, look, this is, this is an interesting and important case, and it, it feeds into a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in the Transfer Window podcast for a long time. Um, because the Nation State Club issue isn't simply about Manchester City. It's also about Paris Saint-Germain and their own ownership by Qatar. Nasser Al-Khalifi is a very important individual in world sports in general, in football in particular. Um, he uh, is in control of Bein, which is the uh, Qatari broadcasters who have Um, a lot of the the rights to European and world football competition control, the broadcasting rights in in certain parts of the world, Um, and have paid a lot of money for those rights. He's the president of Paris Saint-Germain. He's the guy who runs the club, who makes um, the -the on-the-ground decisions according to what um, Qatar's royal family decide they want to do with that club. He is on um, the executive committee of UEFA, and he is um, on in an uh, important position within the European Clubs Association, which is effectively the body that lobbies for the most powerful clubs in particular in European football when they negotiate with UEFA over, for example, the, the structure of the Champions League, how much money is paid to the clubs, um, whether changes are made to the competition format, whether they should move to a European Super League. Um, so he has been... Uh, subject to a bribery investigation in Switzerland that was um, provoked by FIFA complaints over the um, broadcast rights for the World Cup and other competitions. He's had those um, bribery charges dropped um, on the request of FIFA because under Swiss law, to be punished for bribery in a private case, it requires the the individual complaining to sustain that charge against them. And FIFA have, it is reported in the the Times today, come to uh, an informal agreement with Nasser over those bribery um, allegations. And according to the Times, Nasser have paid um, FIFA a substantial settlement. Uh, They report over one million Swiss francs in order to have that case dropped. Now, that meant that the Swiss prosecutors could not go forward with the bribery charges and and have instead um, charged him for inciting aggravated criminal management um, by uh, allowing Jerome Valka who was the FIFA General Secretary until 2015 when he was um, kicked out of that organization in disgrace and is currently serving a 10-year ban from all football activities as a result of that. So the, the allegation is that um, Valka was uh, trying to buy a house, a, a villa in Sardinia, he would made a 500,000 euro down payment for that house um, and Nasser and uh, using the Qatari funds came in and bought the house in full for Valka and then allowed him to um, have use of it at no cost for 18 months, which the Swiss prosecutors um, argue had a value of up to 1.8 million euros. And the suggestion was that, that the payment to Valka in kind uh, was to ensure that Valka sent the broadcasting rights to um, World Cup, to be in, and they retained control of those rights. I should just add that um, Nasser al khalifis has made a statement responding to the charges um, brought against him in, in Switzerland. He said, I am pleased that all charges of bribery in connection with the 2026 and 2030 World Cups have been dropped. As I have said vehemently and repeatedly for three years, the charges have not and never had any basis whatsoever, either in fact or law. While a secondary technical charge remains outstanding, I have every expectation that this will be proven completely groundless and without any substance whatsoever. Just to note what he refers to as a secondary technical charge there is that charge of aggravated criminal mismanagement relating to uh, Jerome Valka. Now, this has been latched on to by in particular Manchester City supporters, to suggest that um, UEFA are a corrupt organisation and that Nasser, uh, in his position as an executive committee member, had influenced the club financial control body to investigate um, Manchester City in the fashion they did and to hand down the um, punishments uh, of a two-year Champions League ban and a 30 million euro fine in the fashion they did. Um, I think that has to be based on a misunderstanding of how UEFA process works. Um, Nasser al-Khalifi is just one member of FIFA's executive committee, which is an extensive um, body. Um, It's comprised of the uh, president, uh, Alexander uh, Chafirin, there are 16 members elected by UEFA Congress. There are two elected by the European Club Association, of which one is Nasser al-Khalifi and one by the European Leagues. So you're looking at a 20-person executive committee who make decisions here. And um, the, the individual from the European Club Association is clearly not the most important individual in the executive committee. Further, the, the, the key element in the club financial control body, financial fair play investigations is that they are set up to be independent of the executive committee. So there there are a group of specialists who um form the investigatory committee, which is headed up by former Belgian Prime Minister Yves Leterme. They investigate cases according to evidence um that is presented to them. In this case, in this particular case, the um the football leaks um uh, cash of emails from Manchester City club accounts um, which talk about the fashion in which they um, sought to uh, bypass UEFA financial fair play laws to give themselves an advantage in European club competition. The investigators capable okay, uh, committee investigates, they give the recommendation to a completely separate adjudicatory committee, which is um, a, a body composed of mainly very experienced legal figures. And that adjudicatory committee comes to a decision on the, the merits of the investigatory committee's case and hands down a ban. Um, Nasser al-Khalifi is not involved on either of those committees um, and is explicitly supposed to be distanced from those committees. Um, therefore, the argument that because Nasser al-Khalifi is, has been charged by Swiss courts, he also uh, incidentally faces a charge of um, uh, on, on a similar fashion of being involved in France over the rights to the uh, 2019 Um, World Athletic Championship, which happened in Doha. Um, Because of those two charges, um, the whole UEFA organisation and their ability to fairly judge Manchester City's transgression of rules falls, it seems a a kind of misinformed and, uh, and somewhat desperate argument, in my view.
0: Indeed, and football politics, of course, has been dominating Uh, the agenda of football in the last few days. And we can all understand why, and that's why uh, you guys have been in touch with us um, in your hundreds uh, to give us your views on what's been happening with regards to Manchester City in particular, and we appreciate you guys getting in touch. And as you know, we engage with you on all our social media channels and uh, do our best to basically answer your questions, but also to give you information that you don't have, which I'm sure Duncan has just done with regards to Nasser Al-Khalifi and the case with FIFA and UEFA. Duncan, um, to get back to football, uh, I suppose the game's arguably, I wouldn't say, biggest game uh, this weekend is the London Derby between Chelsea and Tottenham? Um, obviously, Leicester City play Manchester City, so that's uh, second versus third as well on Saturday the evening. But um, this game will be Josie Mourinho going back to Stamford Bridge to play against Frank Lampard, of course, as former captain and player. Frank uh, Lampard is not enjoying the best of runs with regards to. Um, what's been going on since the transfer window closed in January. Um, nine defeats, uh, I think, in the time since Mourinho became Spurs manager. Uh, it's also the case that uh, Jose Mourinho is not enjoying the best of runs. And what I mean by that is injuries, not results. Uh, losing Hoyming's son and obviously Harry Kane as well he talked about having a heart ripped out of his attack. And who could blame him? And of course, Martin Braithwaite... Uh, proved that you can actually, uh, if you uh, play in La Liga, certainly um, come to the aid of a club in need of a striker in a way that Spurs have been deprived of because he signed for Barcelona. This week, having activated his rescission clause at Laganas, Braithwaite joins Barcelona to help their push for the Liga title, while, of course, Laganas fight relegation. Duncan, all joking aside, this does seem to be quite an, a you know, very, very sort of weird uh, sort of clause in the Liga's rules um, regarding emergency signings, which doesn't apply in the Premier League or indeed anywhere else, but does f- apply in the uh, Football League in England with regards to emergency loan signings, where you can sign a player under the same circumstances that Barcelona find themselves with strikers.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's extremely problematic in La Liga. Um, you could, there's, there's a couple of elements here. One, you've got to demonstrate that you are lacking a player. So in this case, um, Osman Dembele, uh, you have to demonstrate that he's out for a minimum of five months before you're allowed to make this emergency signing. Um, which has complications in itself that the the sort of proof that a player so badly injured that um, you're you you, you're enabled to uh, bring someone else in Um, people have pointed out that barcelona knew dembele um, would was struggling he hasn't played a game since november they also knew in early in january that luis suarez was going to be out um, for the rest of the season yet they allowed two forwards to leave the club on loan um, during the January window, Abel Ruiz and uh, Carlos Perez, um, both of whom, funnily enough, scored in the Europa League on the same day as the signing of uh, Martin Braithwaite from Laganas was announced. Um, Laganas can do nothing about it. Uh, because uh, every player in the Spanish league has a, a buyout clause. In Braithwaite's case, it was set particularly low because Laganas aren't a powerful club, um, only 18 million euros. Um, but worse than that, it's done outside the window. Uh, they have no opportunity to replace him themselves. So even though a, a, a competitor club has taken player from them, they can't replace Braithwaite, yeah, Only the only circumstances in which they'd be allowed to make a new signing is if they have a player who's injured for over five months, which which makes you wonder whether the um, uh, the solution for them would be to get uh, some reserve forward to take a fall in in training and uh, and sustain an injury that their doctors could present as uh, as being as as having a over five month recovery period on to allow them to go and use that 80 million euros to. Um, to sign someone themselves.
0: Genius, Duncan. Evil genius, but genius, just the same. <laughs>
1: but I, I think the key issue here is if you have transfer windows, and, and one of the points of transfer windows is, tr- is to try and uh, control or limit to a certain extent the power of the, the biggest clubs by saying to them, you can't just take... Um, an opposition's uh, an opponent's important player off them at any point in a season you have two windows in which to do it um, you therefore allow your opponent at least a, a small period of time in which to replace, um, that's a far fairer way to organise the competition and, and it's interesting that that FIFA um, in 2016 attempted to have La Liga remove this clause um, in their specific rules. Um, the Premier League doesn't have it. Um, some people argue that the exceptions should be made in one case only, which is for goalkeepers. Um, because you, obviously, um, if you were to have a, a set of injuries to goalkeepers and you weren't able to field um, any specialist goalkeeper, that would be a major disadvantage. You can't move and, and convert a, a midfielder or a defender um, to play in goal in the same way as you can try and do um, to in any outfield position. Um, so there's been a suggestion that it should be introduced in the Premier League on that basis. But uh, the contrast, as you point out, between what's happening in La Liga with Barcelona being able to what some people are arguing is essentially condemn Laganis to, to relegation um, by picking this this player out of their squad at this this point in the season um, to what's happened in uh, with Tottenham in particular in the Premier League where they've lost their two best forwards to injury um, the injury to son happening um, after the windows closed and therefore, uh, going into matches, as uh, Josie Mourinho described it after their defeat to RB Leipzig um, on Wednesday night, um, it's like going to fight with a gun without bullets, um, which I think was a you know a credible enough explanation of the problems he has uh, competing against a, a, a club that plays as good football as Leipzig, and more importantly. I think for him the problems he's going to have trying to sustain an attempt to get into the top four or the top five of the Premier League to qualify um, Tottenham for the Champions League this season uh, because his tactical options are severely limited Um, also interesting that he complained about the timing of the Chelsea game that they have to play Chelsea in the earliest um, fixture slot on the Saturday having played that extremely challenging Champions League match midweek um, and having had to play it with a very limited uh, selection of, of fit players and the demands that places on them and the difficulties that it places on him to prepare for what, as you point out, could be a pivotal game in this chase to get uh, one of the, the, the big London clubs
0: back into the Champions League for next season. I did make reference to it, Duncan. The statistics are quite eye-opening with regards to um, how both clubs have fared. I mean, of course, Spurs and Chelsea, since Mourinho joined uh, the White Hart Lane Club, uh, Spurs have fared very much better than Chelsea have. And, of course, Frank Lampard, we know and We've discussed uh, this on Wednesday's podcast with regards to the problems he's been experiencing at Stamford Bridge. Um the, um could well uh, have a very, very detrimental effect on the continuing um, ambition of making Champions League, even in fourth place, where, of course, that's a qualification place, not an automatic group place.
1: Yeah, it's... Ugh. Look, neither club have the troubles to seek at the moment. That's what you can say. Um, obviously, Lampard beat Mourinho the first time he met him um, as, a, as, as a Premier League manager. Um, if he can repeat that feat uh, on Saturday, then that takes some of the, the, the pressure off him and, and heaps it back on to Mourinho, who um, will not be given dispensation by some of his critics uh, because of the, the resources available to him. Um, some people seem to think he, he has to play um, the same style of football uh, as uh, coaches like Pep Guardiola, regardless of, of missing his two uh, best forwards. Um, and if he does anything but win games by playing what he regards as a pragmatic style for the match, and, and you know, the Leipzig. Game, I think, is a good example here. No, no argument that Leipzig looked the better side for the majority of the game. No argument that Leipzig probably should have been two, perhaps three goals up early on. But um, Mourinho set up his team in a fashion to try and get something out of that game. He knew he had two players on the bench who could only play 30 minutes and and on end on belly Eric Clamella. so he wanted to bring them on in the period of the game where he, he assessed that Leipzig would have tired themselves out with their pressing and they would have more opportunity to affect the result with their play which they did have uh, chances to score were created they almost got out of the game with a draw in the end even if that would have been a, a fortunate result for them but uh, what are the alternatives play open football with, uh, with a limited squad and uh, against a team who remember are competing to win the Bundesliga against Bayern Munich at the moment they might not be a, a, a club with uh, a famous name but in terms of performances on the field this season uh, they've outperformed most teams in, in European football so that was always going to be a tough draw and it was going to be a a particularly tough draw with those resources, you play the way you feel gives you the best chance to get a result, as he did against Liverpool, as he did against Manchester City, and managed to pull um, a win out of one of those games and get close to pulling a result out of another game, um, the two best
0: teams in the Premier League. And so to... The Friday Transfer Wonder podcast, fire Round, as you know, it is legendary for not being as quick as we claim it's going to be. But in this particular Friday, I will ask you to please be patient because it's an absolute classic. We are going to tell you about a young man called Dara Curley from County Donegal who sent a letter to Jurgen Klopp. Now, given that this kid is 10 years old, Respect for the, what he did. He wrote to Jurgen Klopp saying, and I quote, Liverpool are winning too many games. If you win nine more games, then you have the best unbeaten run in English football. Being a Manchester United fan makes me very sad that that's the case. The next time Liverpool play, please make them lose. You just let the other team score. I have hope I have convinced you not to win the league or any other match ever again. <laughs> <laughs> to which Jurgen Kopf responds, Sorry, I'm not laughing at you, Dar, I just think your cojones are right up there, son, for a 10 year old. Was, Unfortunately, on this occasion, I cannot, cannot grant your request, not through choice anyway. As much as you want Liverpool to lose, it's my job to do everything I can to help Liverpool to win, as there are millions of people around the world who want that to happen. So, really, I do not want to let them down. Luckily for you, we've lost games in the past and will lose games in the future. That is football. Uh, He goes on to say that Manchester United are lucky to have him as a fan, as indeed uh, Liverpool are lucky to have their fans, etc., etc., and ends it by saying, what I loved about the letter is, is sportsmanship and respect, and that's what is important in football. Now, so the quickfire around Duncan and the challenges, write us a letter to Jurgen Klopp with what you would like him to do to improve football.
1: Well, I think it's a, it's a lovely letter from Jurgen Klopp. Um, it, it's uh, another fine piece of uh, public relations by Liverpool. And Jurgen Klopp to um, allow that to come into the public Such domain. Such a cynic!
0: The, uh, man's, I... the man's just replied a letter from a ten-year-old schoolboy, which has made his life. And um, I think I think I'll, I'll
1: base the letter on uh, you know Jurgen's sign-off about sportsmanship and respect because I think okay. Atletico Atletico Madrid um, would probably like to pen something to Jurgen, um, given the way he. He behaved and talked about his team's 1-0 defeat in the Champions League to Atletico in midweek, um, essentially uh, accusing Atletico players of diving and of, of uh, play-acting to try and get Sadio Mane sent off um, and therefore suspended for the second leg at Anfield, um, are claiming that he had to take the player off at half-time Uh, because he was worried that uh, the the Spaniards or the Spanish team's way of playing would result in that red card. And then you had um, various Liverpool players talking about um, the antics of the Atletico players post-match. And that has not gone down well with Atletico um, who are suggesting um, off the record that, uh, that Jürgen could be perhaps a bit more um, gracious in defeat, um, a bit more sportsmanlike and perhaps show a bit more respect when uh, his team is beaten. It doesn't happen to him very often, but uh, when it does happen, we seem to see Jürgen reverting to that type of uh, finding excuses in press conferences to uh, to explain away his defeat. And, and apparently, Atletico players are pointing out that Klopp, might be better off focusing on his own team's shortcomings and the, the fact that they didn't manage to get a shot on target in the full 90 minutes of that game. So, um, yeah, I think that that would be the, the letter um, on behalf of uh, Atletico Madrid that uh, could could be sent to Jurgen Klopp. And I, I think it would also um, receive a deal of sympathy from um, other Premier League opponents, given the way he has acted um, in less successful times um, during his Liverpool career as a Premier League manager.
0: Well, Dara, if you're listening, take note of Duncan's uh, quick-fire answer there uh, next time that you decide to write to the Liverpool manager. and uh, Maybe you've got a different response. Um, I have uh, abstained from writing my own letter to your guys. Ooh, No, 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 no booze. I instead... I, I, I insisted that uh, a friend of the transfer window, um, who is a Liverpool fan, I think it's safe to say, write his own letter. Uh, and I'll read the letter out that he has um, sent back to me that he was send to Jürgen. And it goes like this. Dear Jürgen, I saw the letter you wrote to the wee lad, Dara, in Northern Ireland. Don't get me wrong. It was very nice of you to reply and explain why you couldn't fix matches so Liverpool lose. But... I'm concerned that you have handled this too sensitively. Why not just tell the little mank that we hate their club and hope they lose every game, which they almost do anyway these days? Ha ha. Y-N-W-A, Jamie. So there you are. Jamie of Liverpool has had his say on the Dara Curley letter to Jürgen and why Jürgen should be a little bit harder on Man United fans. Are any of those words um, smudged by spittle on that letter? Oh, oh I knew you were going to say that. Well, I'll, ask, I'll, tell you, I'll tell Jamie to get in touch with you and he can do whatever he thinks is right <laughs> with regards to the spittle thing. <laughs> this has been Friday's Transfer Window Podcast. Um, we hope you're not covered in any kind of saliva at the end of it. Uh, I certainly am not. I think Duncan is just being mischievous. Uh, You can continue the debate, of course, as always on our social media channels at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook. Duncan is on Twitter at Duncan Castles. I'm at SJ. Please send us your responses and, of course, uh, keep the debate going with us on those social media channels. You know how we love to... um, keep things live and progressing with you all if you like what you've heard and we know you do please get into iTunes give us a 5 star review and as you know that will expand the community and help us grow all of the debate that we love to have with you guys we will be back on Monday and until then the Thinking Fans podcast says thanks for listening